Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Eggs, butter, flour, and sugar. Now, what if I told you you needed a pound of each one of those? What would that make? Pound cake! Miss Sue is the winner! Pound cake! That is a whole lot of cake. A whole lot of ingredients. And by the way, I was really excited to find a picture of 10 eggs because 10 eggs makes a pound. I had to Google that. But anyhow... Because I was like, a pound of eggs? How do you get a pound of eggs? Well, I guess 10 big eggs is a pound. So that is a whole lot of ingredients. And it's pretty thick cake. And if I remember right, I think I kind of like pound cake. It's good. So it's like, even I maybe could cook that. There is a whole lot of ingredients that go into each part for the four parts. And as we study this morning, following Jesus means directing others to him. But the to him part. That's the pound cake. We're going to see that there's more to Jesus than just, woo Savior's here. There's a lot to him. So as we open up our Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 1, we'll pick up in verse 1 there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the Word. We're putting the ingredients of the pound cake together. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. In the beginning... Reminds you of Genesis 1-1, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created. It is not accidental that the Apostle John, or John writes in um, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is God. Get this, Jesus existed prior to creation and actively participated in Genesis 1. Jesus isn't the porcelain doll you get out of your attic to put underneath the Christmas tree. He pre-existed. And the thing is, he is the word of God. When you think of creation, what did God do each day? He spoke. It's probably the coolest music that was ever written. That which his singing, that which he spoke, the world came into existence. He said, let there be light. He talked. So it revealed God and his character in creation. The same way on the scene comes Jesus as the word of God. And him, existence, is going to reveal his character to us. The word is life. Jesus created life. Jesus sustains life. And by direct attention, maintains the ability for even the crickets, a turtle, Frank, even a turtle, maintains its existence because of Jesus' proactive work. The creator maintains life. Even every person here today, your ability to breathe, the ability for your heart to beat and your brain to function is a matter of Jesus sustaining you. This is a lot of an ingredient. 
We first said Jesus was God, now he is life. And he gives a spiritual life then to be able to follow him. Jesus is light, the word is light. Light is the most powerful force in combating darkness. And what kind of world did Jesus come into? It was a pretty dark place. Without God, there is no light. Darkness, by definition, is the lack of light. Darkness doesn't exist except when light isn't. No amount of darkness can overcome any light. So look, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is light. And Jesus is life. The four ingredients. So let's look at more of what the true light is. Move down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who would receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Look, Jesus is the true light. And it came into a dark world. You ever had not had a warm greeting when you walk into somewhere? Imagine being the creator who spoke things into existence. And when you show up on the scene, who's that guy? He came to his own people. He came to his own people and they did not receive him. It wasn't a very good warm welcome. But what does he offer? Look, he gives you the offer, the right to become God's kids. It's often said that God doesn't have any grandkids. You do not become a child of God by because your parents or by association or because of what you didn't or did do. God grants you adoption into his family. And look, it's God's own doing. The creator picks his family. The rough news or the challenge for us this morning, we don't get to pick our family. We know that of family reunions loud and clear. When we come into the fellowship of other believers, when we get together as a body, when we come together as a church, whoa, we don't necessarily get to pick and choose who's with us. But it's God who wills those who are his children. So the true light came into a dark world, but that light then gave right to become God's own kid. Are you a child of God? You need to ask yourself that this morning. Are you willing to acknowledge Jesus as creator? Look where John's coming through to this point. Do you acknowledge him as creator? Do you acknowledge him as the only reason why you have a beating heart, that your brain that can think, and the reason why there's even light, even hope in the darkness? Our hope in the night, our song in the night, is what? Jesus. It has to be. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't be able to sing very well, and I can't. Some of you may have heard me this morning. But that more than that, look, Jesus came and walked with us. He dwelt with us. Move down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, there is, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God took on flesh and dwelt with us. Move your finger back up to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. You may have a different translation for the word became flesh and lived. The word there is a wordplay for tabernacle. All through the Old Testament, at the base of Mount Sinai, the Jews build for the first time the tabernacle. There is incredible amount of details in the scriptures for how to build the tabernacle. It was Jews are uh, liberated from Egypt. They're given a society, but more important, they're given a God to which to follow. And then they're given the book of Leviticus, and then how do we use this tabernacle? And the really cool thing about it is, is when they finish doing all the work of building the tabernacle, God shows up into the Holy of Holies, and only a priest could get there. And it is just a magnificent, supersized tent that we've taught Kid Nation that it's the coolest tent ever made with all these cool colors with bronze, silver, and gold in it. And it was extravagantly expensive. Say something about a slave people who just built this thing. Okay? It was a huge deal. There is more information on the tabernacle than there is on Solomon's temple. But what was so important about that location? God showed up. So when John writes this in verse 14, he literally says Jesus tabernacled. He set up his tent. He pitched his tent with us. So with that background in mind, this verse is amazing. God dwells with me. If you do a quick search of the Old Testament, you'll see that a big deal is I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. The word of God, Jesus, dwells with us. The full glory of God put on skin. Walk the city streets and the rural fields. And the little parenthetic comment in there is John says, hey, I was an eyewitness to this. I saw it myself. In verse 17, Jesus fulfills the atonement law from Moses. It's the last sacrifice that will ever be given. Not only will God come to us, dwell with us, but the fulfillment of everything Moses wrote about, the sacrifice for sins will be once and for all taken care of through grace upon grace of which Jesus gives us. Jesus taken on the flesh is a culmination of a history of a Jewish people living with God. God puts on a tent, puts on sandals, touches his creation and gives a need to kids. Just relish in that thought for a second. This ingredient to the pound cake is massive. God dwelling with the people. Wouldn't it be cool if you could time travel just to go back and watch him? Whoa. And then the amount of people that didn't even recognize him at all, did not receive him at all. But just to go back and say, whoa. As you would call others to follow, wouldn't you be just like the apostles? Say, I saw him. The last prophet, John the Baptist, says, looky there, there he is. What would it be like today if you had the opportunity to share Jesus with the friends and neighbors and he actually showed up and you got to touch him last night? You'd think you'd be able to say something about that. 
But this is what John's saying. This is big deal. God took on flesh and dwelt with us. He was the Word. He was God. He was life. He was light. So that's the first part. Jesus as the Word. God revealing himself to us. God developing his character to us in his creation and in his creation by becoming in part of it and walking with it. Now the second part, look at this. John is going to cry out for this. John the Baptist, move your finger up to verse 6. Let's find out about him. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John is the first person in the book of John to say, look, here he is. But he's also the last mighty prophet, and Jesus will later describe him as a great. Think Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Zechariah, Malachi. All these prophets, John is the last of the old order. He begins the book of John. John the Baptist is the last of the old order and what you think of the Old Testament to say, and what is his job? Jeremiah said a bunch of bad things about, hey, y'all better repent, you're going to go into captivity. We did 40-some, we did 50-some chapters of that, right? We've done minor prophets. Zechariah says a whole lot about what's going to happen at the end times. What is John there to say? There. He's here. There he is. There he is. There he is. That all might believe through him. The singularity of our belief system is in Jesus alone. And that is his one job is to say, hey, there he is. I am going to be a witness. I am going to herald this. I'm going to be the town crier. I'm going to be the megaphone at the Super Bowl. That all might believe in him. And move to verse 19. John's going to give a witness to more about Jesus. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to them, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's his reply, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as a prophet Isaiah said. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing him? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who you do not know. Even if he comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not, not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptized. So John's witness first is, hey, there is the Messiah. Believe in him. Now he's going to say, make a way, make a path for a king. He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. Make path, make a path clear. Can you imagine a king showing up to a big crowd and they got to make a way through the crowd and make the path straight. 
Now I'm going to weave through, like the red carpet goes right straight to the beginning, right through into the entrance, right? John is saying, make a path because here comes the king. Now he was a popular guy. You can tell he'd stirred up some people, and it was like what we would do. What's going on over there at Newbie's Corners? There's like 50,000 people hanging out. We'd send somebody. It's like when we were, I was out here, Ms. Joan, you remember we had like all them semi-trucks, dump trucks? The talk of the area was, what's, all, what's going on out there? So there's something going on. There's a large crowd around John the Baptist, so they send his delegates to him and say, hey, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you then? Make a path straight. I am not the Messiah. Make a path. Notice what he does. What an amazing thing about John the Baptist is that when getting a large crowd around him and getting a lot of interest from the leaders in the community directs all of his attention back, all the answers back to Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, here's who I am. That would be really hard to do in public. Well, who are you, Frank? Well, I'm the guy that does this. We self-identify by our job and what we do in life, by our functions all the time. In the middle of conversation, Americans say, hey, what do you do? What do you do? So they come to, what in the world are you doing? He doesn't give this long spiel on why he's doing what he's doing. He said, hey, the king is here. Points it all to Jesus. How do we point to him in what we do every week? When they say, what are you about? I noticed something different about you. Do you spend the next 20 minutes talking about yourself, how good you are, and how you got your act together? Or do you immediately deflect and say, hey, this is all because of Jesus? I like their frustration. Well, tell us who you are. And his answer, he who comes after me is superior. There's a bigger one coming. So John's yelled out, believe in Jesus, make a path for the king. And in verse 29, he's going to say another ingredient about the Jesus that he's going to point to. Look at chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist is speaking. and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John said, hey, this is Jesus. Believe in him. This is Jesus. This is the king. And finally he's going to say, hey, this is the Lamb of God. More ingredients about Jesus are being built upon, built upon. John is the eyewitness, the testimony giver, the town crier of the good news for our sin problem. A lot of times when we talk about Jesus, we want to go right straight to our sin problem first, and Jesus takes away our sins and everything's going to be cool. It's not the way in order it is here. He's light, life. 
He is the Word. He is the King. This is the one who takes away the sin of the world. What we studied this morning in Bible Fellowship is one of the things that rubs the world raw is singularity pointing to Jesus saying, this is the only way to make it to heaven. This is the only way to have your sins taken care of. In a culture which is really easy to say things, it's also hard to say things that are truth and absolute. And John cries out, this is the one who takes care of your sin problem. And his job is to tell everyone he can about Jesus. He wants his people to know about him. And God gave John the Baptist a special way of knowing who it was. You see that? This is going to um, take us to where the baptism of Jesus. But this is put in here because John was an eyewitness to what happens at Jesus' baptism. His very own eyes get to see the validation of who Jesus is. So John has cried out, believe in Jesus. Jesus is the king. Make a way for him. And Jesus is the lamb of God. So we've seen Jesus as the word. And we've seen John testify, yell out, proclaim about what Jesus is. Now immediately we're going to look at how to make disciples. We're going to pick up in verse 35 before we get there. Pay close into this section to how Jesus makes disciples. Disciple making comes very, very early in the book of John. We may be able to sing our song in the night, but to whom are we singing? To ourselves? To others? To encourage one another? Yes, and then for the world around us, for the hope that we have. Jesus is going to call disciples to himself. He's going to work miraculously. He's going to call some people, and but people are going to do what John did and point others to him. Then there's going to be more that gather more people to Jesus. The big point is we transition from what we're talking about with Jesus to how Jesus is going to use you and I in this. It isn't just a theological re- revealing of big deal about the ingredients for the pound cake known as Jesus. But how then does that affect each other? Why do we do church? Pick up in verse 34, 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Look, this is the first disciple-making in the book of John. John, the great herald in the wilderness, literally points Jesus out to his very own disciples. As Jesus walks by, you can picture John jumping up, raising his hand, and yelling to his own disciple, There he is, boys, follow him! That is the Lamb of God. How many of us would love to have a crowd around us that would like to be around us? 
And then say, hey, there's somebody cooler. Go follow them. As we go about life, do we want a bunch of people to like us and we spend all of our time mitigating our circumstances so we have this crowd of cool people around us? Or do we say, hey, follow me as I'm following him. It is more important about Jesus than it is about me. John is willing to give up his own disciples to follow Jesus. And by the way, he gives up the cream of the crop. It's not like giving out of the end of the month. What do we got left in the bank account? 42 cents. Well, give 35 to the church. He gives, right off the top, he's got two quality guys. You two, you guys are quality. Go chase Jesus. There he is, boys. Go follow him. Immediately, these two follow Jesus. And I like Jesus says, what do you all want? Where are you staying? Let's hang out, Jesus says. Notice this. Pointing people to Jesus means hanging out with Jesus. Jesus wasn't their spiritual ATM, so they walk up with their debit card and say, hey, can I have some grace and get out of this trouble? Jesus says, no, come on, hang out. Let's spend some time together. Jesus wanted to spend time as he dwelt with people, with people. Why? So he could send them back out. He kind of knows. Hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get my best disciple, one of the top disciples from this encounter. And who finds him? Did Jesus go get him himself? In this account right here, he says, hey, let's hang out. Now, Philip takes the next step in following Jesus. And he goes to his brother, Nate. He says, we have found the one Moses has written about. That's why we read Deuteronomy this morning. Imagine having that read to you your entire life. There is one coming Moses wrote about. Nathaniel quotes it. He says, hey, dude, this is the one Moses was writing about. Come on, we found him. Look, following Jesus obviously means then going and get more people for Jesus, gathering people for Jesus. It's not an individualistic encounter for these guys. So Philip reaches out. I'm in the wrong verse. Sorry. Verse 34, 35 through 42. So one of the two that John had sent was Andrew. Andrew is the brother of Simon. Simon Peter. And what does he yell to his brother? We have found the Messiah. Verse 41. John points out, John the Baptist points out, two guys follow, one goes back and gathers more, and it grows. What part of that process are you in? What part are you playing? Are you pointing? There's the Lamb of God. There is the ruler. There is the king. There is the creator. There is life and there is light. There's two that then follow, Simon and Peter. Simon and his brothers with him. And 
Andrew goes back and gets Simon. Goes back and gets Peter. Peter, upon which Jesus is going to build his church, was located by another guy, his brother. Isn't that astounding? If you were in charge of picking out the best 12 you could get, you would want to handpick each one yourself, wouldn't you? Jesus says, hey, that's one, follow, yep, okay. Now, he's going to go tell another person about me, and then we're going to have a great relationship. Or can you imagine being the first to come to know to Jesus, introduce somebody else to Jesus, and then Jesus is going to do something incredibly cool in their life that could very well supersede what's done in yours. We don't like it that way. We want to find the people, train the people, and say, I will be in training for you for the rest of your life. No, we see he gets found, trained, and then becomes the leader. There's so many nuances. I could park on all these verses forever and preach. So now let's move to verse 43. So I was the first disciple me. John pointed, two followed, one gathered, and more came. Pick up in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. So this is the second disciple making. Jesus directly calls out Philip. See in verse 43, in the original, that's a command. That's an imperative. That isn't a suggestion. You can hear Jesus saying, follow me. A command. So he does. So he follows him. Following Jesus means more than just thinking. Okay, I'll give mental assent to the Jesus is a good guy, and so I will put in my mind, yeah, I like that Jesus guy. I got me some Jesus. Following Jesus looks like action. It is obedience in action. It is more than mental assent. It is action. It's doing, and it is moving. Notice Philip's next step in verse 45. Hey, Nate, we found the one Moses wrote about. That's why we read that this morning. We have found him. Following obviously means gathering others to Jesus. It's not individualistic. Philip even reaches out to a skeptic. Do you notice that? Because skeptical Nate says, what good comes out of Nazareth? It'd be like, what good ever came out of Newbie's Corners? 
There's no monument down there, no president. So he even goes to the skeptic. Then Jesus does his job by interacting with Nathaniel's heart, faith, at an individual level with him in a really cool way. Jesus is going to pull the curtain back just slightly on his deity to have an interaction with Nathaniel. I saw you, Philip. I saw you before Philip called you, Nate. Okay, get the picture. Um, Ms. Joan, Deb calls you tomorrow. And she said, it calls you at two in the afternoon. Calls you. How are you doing, Deb? Yeah, I saw you this morning. You were doing your housework from 6.30 to 7. And then at 7, you talked to Gil for a little while, made another pot of coffee because the first one wasn't strong enough. And did she t- or whatever, she just gives you the play-by-play on your morning. And you're looking around for cameras. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, I saw you sitting underneath that fig tree before he ever spoke to you. Boom. There were some really cool testimonies of people coming to know Jesus where Jesus has had an incredible way of touching them. And that still can happen today. So God takes once a skeptic on the team. And he's going to, he ain't scared. Now the guy that went to ask him might have been a little bit nervous, but Jesus is the one that interacts with him. And what is the skeptic's response after Jesus just barely pulls the veil back on what he knows can do and being God who created? Well, you're pretty cool. I'll give me, no. What does he yell out? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It doesn't say anything about a lamb. He goes straight to ruler authority. I really like the humor of the Bible. Move to verse 50. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you're going to believe? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Imagine the first time you meet Jesus, he knew what you were doing while you were all by yourself, and there's no way he would know. Then you see him turn water to wine. And you have all these accounts of all this incredible stuff that Jesus does working with people. Imagine signing up for that J-O-B. On the first day on the job, if something crazy happens, and then the boss says, you ain't seen nothing yet. How many of us in our lives have come to know Jesus under a crazy, miraculous situation where it's been really cool, on fire for Jesus, and then, well, maybe, does that still work with us? Have we seen anything yet? Are we willing to step back and say, hey, God, you've done a great work. Can you continue to do that? Well, obviously, he's kind of the creator, but do we believe it? Will we walk, follow, obey, walk in obedience to him in making of disciples to say, hey, that is a changed life. That is somebody that's come to know Jesus. This is somebody who's been trained into leadership. All these processes, and Jesus says, hey, you're going to be just a group of 12 vagabonds, and I'm going to take you all, and I'm going to start the reason why you're all sitting here this morning. You ain't seen nothing yet. And the crazy thing 
as he goes to Genesis chapter 28 to say this. I'll read it for you. You haven't seen nothing yet because truly, truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're like, why is that in there? What's Jesus talking about? It's Jacob's ladder. Jacob falls asleep and he sees this ladder with angels ascending and descending where God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. And this is how he, Jacob responds. Well, God promises him, hey, hey, Jacob, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. Remember, the situation wasn't really good for Jacob at this time. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. Jesus is quoting to him a story that he would know. This fig tree thing, you ain't seen nothing yet, but you're in the presence of God Almighty. You have barely had an experience that would relate to what, like Jacob had seen, the angels ascending and descending. And remember Jacob's response to God when he shows him this letter. How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Look what Jesus has done. Revealed more about himself through spoken word, connecting himself to scriptures that were incredibly powerful for this guy. The guy claims, you are king. He said, yep, and I'm the same king that was there in Genesis 28 with Jacob's ladder. So we've seen Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. John cried out a whole bunch about him. Then we immediately went into, wow, Jesus is making disciples already. And how did he make disciples? Calling some, follow me, the command. Then they did. Then he said, hey, you go and find some others. So they go and get their brothers, sisters, their family, their friends. Go back into town. Even go to the skeptics and say, what good comes out of there? I don't want nothing to do with no Jesus, man. What's good for God? And they end up declaring this kind of thing. Jesus has an encounter with this guy that blows his mind. So following Jesus for us this morning means directing, calling out, being the John the Baptist, being the gatherers to him. Now, to him, man, I wanted to lengthen that prepositional phrase so much. It's like a pound cake. Jesus is... What? The Lamb of God, right? He's your Savior. Take care of your sin problem. He's also the King of the universe. He's the Creator. He sustains all life. He's the light of the world. He's the Word of life. How then will you point people? So as you go about this week, as we interact with one another... Is it all about you or pointing, you, pointing people to Jesus? Whatever you do here or whatever you're doing in the local group, is it about how cool you are? And this is really tough for a pastor because I want to see this place grow. And Frank knows very well I'm not the coolest guy. But I want to point people to Jesus. 
Who are you pointing to? What's your view of Jesus today? It's really easy to say Jesus takes care of the sin of the world. That's kind of important stuff. We're kind of like that. But he's also the king. He pre-existed creation. His light, his life. Is your view of Jesus just as a spiritual ATM for dealing with hard times? Or kind of a spiritual guru that was a good guy? Look at this. Loving Jesus means loving people. Loving Jesus meant, hey, as soon as they met Jesus, what did they do? Went and told others about him. If you say you love Jesus, are you loving others and telling them about him? Who is that? Are you loving the people here next to you today? And what does that then look like? Because you get married, experience some time worship gathering, and we're practicing for eternity, right? Pastor Ryan covered that last weekend. Are you loving others that are here? Now in our community, who are you gathering? Take out your connection card. Who are those names that you would like to gather? There are people that God put in your path that say, hmm, that person there. And pay attention to who that is and pray for him. Write that down so then I can help and the staff, and Michael and Ryan and I can pray for you likewise for those people that you know need Jesus. And it's really pretty cool because we have some names already and we've been praying. Gathering includes the skeptics. I was one of them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to declare the full character of Jesus either. The pound cake. Except Jesus would be like a tongue cake. He's more than just, not only is he the Savior, the Lamb of God, but he is light and life and the ruler of the universe. And would you declare, make a path straight for him? It's not just a spiritual help, he's not a crutch in time of need. But he is the fullness of God in bodily form. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.